These programs are incredibly abusive, incredibly expensive. They're not giving border communities the actual things that they're asking for. And they're also a tremendous waste of state resources. You know, they are not shown to produce the goals that they are stated for. And they certainly have consequences that are tremendous in terms of human lives and human cost. Because you've always taken such charge. You are listening to the Border Chronicle. Bob Leibel is a longtime grassroots organizer based in Austin, Texas, who has worked on immigrant rights issues in Texas for decades. Leibel is now working as a U.S. consultant for the international nonprofit Human Rights Watch, with a specific focus on Texas and Governor Greg Abbott's Operation Lone Star. Thank you so much, Bob, for speaking with us today at the Border Chronicle where we are going to talk about all things Operation Lone Star. Uh, first of all, for people who haven't heard of Operation Lone Star, can you describe what it is and when it began in Texas? Yeah, absolutely. And thanks so much for having me, Melissa. It's good to be talking to you again. Um, yeah, so, you know, Operation Lone Star began in 2021, and it is this massively expensive border program uh, you know, the the sort of official cost is $4.4 billion spent thus far over the last couple of years. And the program was started uh, through a combination of legislative uh, funding uh, and Governor Abbott uh, declaring an emergency and a series of border counties declaring emergencies. Um, and essentially, you know, the, the goal of the program was to deny Mexican cartels and other smugglers the ability to move drugs and people into Texas, quote unquote. And, and it did that through, you know, a series of actions, including deploying thousands of Texas military members um, and uh, state police to the border setting up a kind of separate and unequal criminal justice system through which people are prosecuted primarily for criminal trespass, an enhanced version of criminal trespass, and through uh, smuggling charges. So we've had thousands of people that have been uh, charged with these two crimes, uh, particularly in a kind of border uh, region between El Paso and the Rio Grande Valley. Um, El Paso and the sort of most populous counties of the Rio Grande Valley have not signed on to this program. But, you know, we've essentially used these billions of dollars to fund uh, law enforcement in the Texas military at the border to provide grants to local law enforcement agencies and to commandeer state prisons um, and create these processing centers for kind of like a centralized magistration for people that are caught up in this dragnet. Right. And so so you're looking at all these issues um, for Human Rights Watch. And what type of impacts is Operation Lone Star having on border communities and on Texas overall? Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, I think it's significant. This is one of the biggest border security programs in U.S. history. Um, and we've found essentially no evidence that the program has met its goals, right, to reduce uh, smuggling of drugs or people. Um, certainly the amount of uh, overdoses that we're seeing due to fentanyl and the amount of people who are migrating to Texas um, is not lower than when the, than the program began. But we have found that the program has led to 
uh, injuries and deaths along the border, notably through the high-speed vehicle pursuits that uh, particularly DPS uh, undertakes. Uh, we've noted that the program has consistently violated uh, the rights of migrants and U.S. citizens through an abusive system of detention and this kind of separate and unequal court system that people um, in border communities are funneled through uh, and has also suppressed you know, things like freedoms of association and expression. Um, there was a part of Operation Lone Star. Uh, it has been the investigation of uh, nonprofit organizations that provide aid to migrants, like legal aid to migrants, um, which has a real chilling expression on much needed aid organizations and advocacy organizations as well. And I guess it's also impacted National Guard soldiers as well who have been deployed there, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that the toll, particularly in the beginning on National Guard personnel who were deployed often with just days notice to the border was really significant. Uh, at least 10 National Guard service personnel have died while deployed under Operation Lone Star. Um, at least five of those deaths were attributed to suicide. There's been drownings, a couple of accidental shootings. Um, uh, and uh, it was there was also a a, a well documented story of a DPS special agent who died while riding in the back of a truck, right, deployed in the nighttime operation under Operation Lone Star. So there's been all kinds of um, strains on both personnel and on certainly on on border communities and on on migrants themselves. Yeah, and so the Texas legislature is in session right now. And um, are legislators expanding Operation Lone Star? Could you talk about that, sort of what they're introducing, how much they want to propose for funding? Yeah, uh, you know, disappointingly from our perspective, uh, it appears that the status quo is going to be at the very least what the legislature approves. Um, the Texas House has already voted to approve uh, $4.6 billion as a part of their budget towards the border security program through the various agencies that undertake it, right? That's the Department of Public Safety, which is state police, the Texas military, TDCJ, which is a state prison system, um, uh, and a couple of other agencies that undertake various portions of uh, Operation Lone Star, you know, and that's so that's a, a slight increase from what we spent over the last biennium. So the amount of money being funneled into this program looks like it is going to pass at at least that four point six billion dollar uh, number. And on top of that, we're seeing some really incredibly dangerous and extreme bills uh, that are being proposed and being debated uh, right now. Uh, just last Wednesday in the state. Affairs Committee of the Texas House, there were hearings on two bills, well, actually hearings on a number of bills targeting immigrants and border communities. The two that have received the most sort of scrutiny, I would say, are HB 20, uh, which would essentially create a border protection unit um, whose head would be based in the Department of Public Safety, but would answer solely to the governor. And it would allow the deputization of both a commissioned officer class, like a law enforcement agency where law enforcement officers would go, and then also a, um, a non-commissioned officer, which would essentially be any U.S. citizen 
who has graduated from high school is a way that I read the law uh, or read the bill, um, who could thereby participate in enforcement actions against migrants and other people at the border, right? So you really have, you're talking about a state-sponsored vigilante program. HB 20 would also create kind of a state version of Title 42, uh, and would create a third degree felony out of criminal trespass. So essentially raising the criminal trespass from a enhanced misdemeanor to a third degree felony, which my understanding is that third degree felony is the same classification of crime as kidnapping. Um, so extreme bill um, uh, introduced by Representative Schaefer. And then the other piece of legislation that received a lot of scrutiny last week was HB 7, which would essentially create a border protection court system that would institutionalize in state law a lot of the separate and unequal system of uh, magistrating, arresting, jailing, and prosecuting people along the border that came about through Operation Lone Star. So basically, they're just trying to make Operation Lone Star permanent through through this legislation. That, that's what it seems. And, you know, that is certainly the history, you know, as you've covered over the years of border spending, right? I remember, you know, during the Obama administration uh, that, you know, when they were spending hundreds of millions of dollars on border security to deploy DPS to the Rio Grande Valley at the time, um, state legislators were saying, well, this is a tremendous expense, but we won't have to do this if a Republican is elected, right? And the sort of idea that if there's a Democratic administration, then Texas is going to beef up its border security protocols. But, you know, lo and behold, that number never went down during the Trump administration. It just ratchets, ratchets back up and then, um, you know, sort of becomes the status quo. And I think that one of the things that we're, you know, really trying to impart is both this: these programs are incredibly abusive, incredibly expensive. They're not giving border communities the actual things that they're asking for. Um, and they're also a tremendous waste of state resources, no matter what your goal is, because they, you know, they are not shown to produce the the, the goals that they are stated for. And they certainly have, you know, uh, consequences that um, are tremendous in terms of human lives and human cost. Yeah, and if we could talk a little bit further about House Bill 20, which was introduced by a Republican from Tyler, Texas, Matt Schaefer, which, of course, Tyler is hundreds of miles away from the border. You know, it's been compared to Arizona's Show Me Your Papers law, and and uh, some Democrats in Texas are referring to it as the Vigilante Death Squads bill. Uh, so obviously there's, you know, very strongly strong feelings about this legislation, and rightly so. What was the hearing like? Were you at the hearing and, and sort of what was the response to the hearing? And, and does this bill have a chance of actually passing? Yeah, I mean, I think we can't count anything out in this legislative session, right? Um, there was enormous amounts of opposition. Uh, there was a press conference in the morning with people who had been impacted by Operation Lone Star a man who'd been criminally prosecuted for trespass um, and served months in a jail uh, for that charge. And, you know, again, to talk about the separate and unequal nature of this program, someone who looks like me arrested for criminal trespass isn't going to spend more than a night in jail, right? But you have men in this program who are spending months and months in jail 
um, up to a year, right, um, under this enhanced criminal trespass program. And then you had uh, people that came from all over Texas, but particularly from the border regions, from El Paso, from Presidio, from Del Rio, from Laredo, from the Rio Grande Valley, came to speak against this bill. And I would say uh, the... You know, the other thing is that they began hearing testimony on HB 20 at 10 p.m. Um, after it was posted that the hearing would start at 1030 a.m. So you had people that had driven from the Rio Grande Valley starting at 3 a.m. Um, and didn't. And the testimony went till 2 a.m. Um, and uh, then was cut off. So you had people who were not even allowed to speak as a part of the hearing, uh, which is, you know, very frustrating, especially for people that traveled all of that distance. The testimony was overwhelmingly opposed to the bill. I would say that it focused on the impact on border communities in particular uh, and, and what the influx of law enforcement has felt like for, for people in those communities. Um, and then I think additionally points were raised that there are real concerns about the scope of these bills and and the and that they are not actually limited to border communities, right? So um, HB 20 has very broad language. And so these border protection units could ostensibly be, um, you know, posted up outside of immigrant churches, right? In, you know, uh, suburban Dallas, right? And I think that there's a real concern about what kind of impact that that may have on um, communities throughout the state. There were some supporters of the bill there, notably uh, Mark Morgan, the former Trump administration um, official uh, was there. He had also been um, at the press conference in Kinney County last July along with Ken Cuccinelli, another Trump administration uh, DHS official that I'm sure your listeners are familiar with, um, promoting this uh, fringe legal theory that uh, that the border is being invaded and therefore the U.S. Constitution should be invoked so that military, you know, the military can use, I guess, active force against migrants. I think there was a lot of pushback from committee members at this hearing, though, um, both from Democrats, certainly, um, who were asking, what was the intent of this bill, right? Was this bill to um, essentially challenge the Arizona Supreme Court precedent, uh, which Attorney General Ken Paxton has has explicitly asked for, you know, and also to draw attention to what would, what would the impact of these border protection units be? You know, I think one thing that is very clear is that there is nothing in these bills that would prohibit people who are motivated by anti-immigrant or racial animus, you know, from joining these these border protection units. Um, so I think that that's, you know, something that is that is pretty alarming to people. You know, I, I, it's very hard to tell in these hearings, but there were certainly some questions um, also from a state senator or a state representative who is a Republican, Charlie Guerin, who asked questions about staffing. Um, how would you be able to staff this if the Department of Public Safety is already 600 officers short? Where are you going to find uh, where are you going to find law enforcement officers for this program? And I would say it didn't really seem like there were really strong answers from uh, Representative Schaefer. There was a you know very strong rhetoric, but not a lot on particulars when it came to the bill and its implementation. And so. You know, that's the way that Operation Lone Star began as well, right? <laughs> kind of like a 
you know, flying by the seat of your pants, like deploying people, you know, to, you know, to the border. Um, uh, so chaotic policy and, and kind of abusive policy does not necessarily mean that it's not going to happen in Texas right now. Yeah. So essentially under these border protection units, the DPS would be able to deputize civilians to go out and basically hunt people who they think are undocumented. Yeah, I mean, yes, essentially, uh, that's the way that's the way that it reads to me. The original version of the bill also provided complete criminal and civil immunity to members of the Border Protection Unit, which is a standard even beyond what law enforcement officers have. Uh, the committee substitute dials back that language a little bit, but not completely. I think what you are, you know, what the bill certainly allows for it is for, you know, people who are motivated by anti-immigrant views uh, to to join uh, to join these units and to be, you know, to have very little in the way of accountability and very little in the way of things that would hinder them from from potentially causing harm. Um, absolutely. I think there was a notable exchange where uh, Representative Rafael Anchia asked one of the proponents of the bill. Uh, you know, who are the invaders, right? Because this is the sort of rhetoric that is used. And, and Representative Schaefer said, well, it's not the immigrants, but it's the cartels, right? It's the, you know, the sort of criminal entities, the cartels. Um, but when asked, uh, several of the proponents from some of the right-wing organizations that showed up to support it explicitly said, the invaders are the quote-unquote illegals, right? And um, I think that that is a very dangerous um, uh, proposition uh, that we would be setting up a system where people who believe that undocumented migrants are invaders could be enforcing a Texas-specific immigration proposal um, and be armed in doing so. Yeah, and this was actually something that was proposed in Kenny County, right? Right after Operation Lone Star uh, was rolled out in in that county. Kinney County, of course, is right next to Del Rio, and Kinney County's definitely prosecuted the most people under Operation Lone Star. And there was a point where there was talk of of Sheriff Coe, you know, deputizing civilians to go out and detain people, and uh, Apparently, DPS or somebody from Austin called and said, no, you know, you can't do that um, for various reasons. So the idea was uh, tossed out, but it sounds like now they'd like to just roll that out as a statewide thing. And they use very inflammatory, I would say Representative Schaefer used very inflammatory rhetoric, right, about um, Mexican cartels, uh having uh, control over the border. Certainly the fentanyl deaths were a major part of the reasoning behind why we need this bill. Um, but I think that the counter argument there is that we have more fentanyl deaths today than when Operation Lone Star began. And we've spent four point, probably close to $5 billion on Operation Lone Star so far and on this border program. So there was not a lot of reasoning as to why this kind of operation would be effective at reducing fentanyl deaths, given that, you know, the data says anywhere between 85 and 90% of fentanyl 
comes into the United States through ports of entry, that almost all of it is brought by uh, U.S. citizens, and that you know a very small percentage of it is uh, brought into the United States by people who are crossing between ports of entry and are immigrants. Yeah, and so Human Rights Human Rights Watch, the organization that you're that you're working for, is obviously an international organization, and I'm I'm struck by the sort of authoritarian nature of this legislation and of Operation Lone Star, and it reminds me of Hungary and Viktor Orban, who is an authoritarian leader who has had a real impact on conservatives in the U.S. You know, he toured. Uh, he was at CPAC, and um, of course, Mark Morgan, who you mentioned, a former Trump cabinet member. You know, they they're all they're all close. So he, in Hungary, has a program called the Border Hunters, where he is uh, housing people who are hunting undocumented people when they cross into Hungary, and you know, because obviously this authoritarian movement is happening globally and it seems very much in lockstep with what is happening in in other parts of the world where marginalized people are being targeted and used for for larger means such as you know eroding democracy and putting in an authoritarian uh government yeah absolutely i mean i think that's one of the many reasons why this is so insidious right is that uh, and potentially, you know, incredibly uh, abusive and damaging. It, 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 you know, draws on the worst of authoritarian tendencies, which is to demonize, you know, a minority group or to demonize a migrant group, um, allowing for state-sponsored vigilantes to uh, be a part of, you know, I think the official language is deterring and repelling migrants at the border, right? Um, and and it is part of an overall framework, right, of of using the state criminal justice system, right, you know, against a marginal group in an exceptional way, right? So essentially creating a different classification of things like criminal trespass that essentially only apply to migrants, right? Um, And I think that that's one of the very dangerous aspects of Operation Lone Star is that they have figured out how to use existing state criminal justice apparatus that could then be used in other places against migrants or against other marginalized communities. And certainly the rhetoric that extreme escalation of rhetoric over the last year or two of Operation Lone Star, we already know is incredibly dangerous, right? The uh, use of the invasion rhetoric, the use of this idea that we are under attack from a foreign power that is the sort of Mexican cartels, although often U.S.-based gangs are also name-dropped in those descriptions, the end game there is military action at the border, right? Armed military action at the border to repel violently people who are, in all reality, the vast majority of whom are simply economic migrants or a lot of them escaping uh, repressive political situations themselves. They're asylum seekers. And so 
you know, that is just a very, very dangerous sort of mix. And I think that it's a tinderbox, right? And and HB20, the allowing of armed civilian state-sponsored vigilantes to be a part of that is really a match um that we we absolutely should not like and and i say that we and i say that we already know right that that these this dangerous rhetoric has repercussions because we have seen the moving of that invasion rhetoric from kind of fringe organizations and individuals many of whom are deemed hate groups right to the governor right of texas and to the state's top elected officials uh to you know, people who are enacting violence on Latino communities like the shooter in El Paso. Right. Yeah. And you're talking about the mass shooting at the Walmart in El Paso, where the shooter, who was a young white guy from North Texas, drove all the way hundreds of miles to El Paso to shoot uh, Latinos and cited that invasion and uh, great replacement rhetoric that the governor and lieutenant governor and others have been repeating ad infinitum for the last few years now. And it's interesting how they roll out these really repressive laws at the border. And and you mentioned that the border protection units don't just apply to the border, that they could apply to the rest of the state, the way that it's written. Yeah, I mean, several of these bills that were heard um, would yeah apply you know potentially apply statewide right and i think that you're already seeing that the idea that the border is not actually the border right to them <laughs> right i mean the border is essentially anywhere that migrants are, are or are traveling through so many of the counties that have declared disasters in order to draw down operation lone star money um, are nowhere near the border i mean some of them are in places that people are you know, may travel through, right? The sheriff of Goliad County, a very small county, uh, you know, hundreds of miles north of the Mexico border is one of the big proponents of this. And he, you know, talks about people being smuggled through his community. And then there's people, you know, at the Oklahoma border who have declared disasters. And it's essentially co-signing a political position of the governor that then allows them to get Operation Lone Star grants for their law enforcement, which have been spent on everything, right? I mean, from license plate readers to new uh, law enforcement vehicles um, to personnel. So you essentially have in many ways, we are replicating what we did with the war on drugs <laughs> um, in in criminalizing people at the very lowest level of the ladder, right? The people who are migrating and the people who are smuggling folks who are not high-level cartel members by any means, but are simply people who are driving people from the border to U.S. to bigger cities in Texas usually, while also funneling huge amounts of money into law enforcement with no real metrics as to what we're trying to accomplish. So we're essentially just building this kind of criminal justice border industrial complex um, that has no end in sight. Right. And it's a huge money-making industry. So it just feeds upon itself and like a snowball rolling downhill. It just gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. that's right. And uh, so you you brought up another interesting um, issue. Um, you know, having covered the Texas border for so long, I'm used to people saying, 
well, that's just Texas. They're crazy, whatever, you know, in the rest of the country. But as you point out, what happens in Texas, it sets a precedence and it, and it can spread to other places. And in one way it can really set a precedence precedence is by challenging the state's rights to to do immigration enforcement at the Supreme Court, which is what uh, Texas's attorney general says that the ultimate aim is to do that, right? They want to overturn the decision from Arizona, show me your papers, that was like, you know, 10 years ago. Now that they've got Trump's Supreme Court justices on there, they they feel like, I think, that they can win this time and that the Supreme Court will be in favor of states doing their own immigration enforcement. Can you can you talk about that? I mean, like, could that really happen? And then what would that mean if states were allowed to do their own immigration enforcement? Yeah, I mean, I'm no, you know, I'm no legal uh, uh, expert when it comes to the Fifth Circuit and the Supreme Court. So I can't, you know, tell you what, you know, I don't have much of a crystal ball on what the courts will decide. But yeah, I think that that is very explicitly one of the aims of much of this legislation. So there are there are in addition to HB 20 and HB 7, there are bills that are being heard that would create a specific entry crime, illegal entry crime for the state of Texas. Those bills are supported uh, by, for instance, the Texas Public Policy Foundation, which support which came to testify in favor of many of those bills that would create a mandatory minimum of 10 years in prison for smuggling, which there are thousands and thousands of quote unquote smuggling cases, which essentially are U.S. citizens who are driving people from, say, Del Rio to Houston. And that was also supported by, you know, many of these uh, far right uh, organizations. And the explicit aim of some of the testimony in favor of those bills was to challenge uh, Arizona versus the United States, right, which was was to challenge that Supreme Court precedent. So I think that you are exactly right that, you know, at least in some corners there, and, and, and Attorney General Ken Paxton has also said that that this is, he, that he, he wants there to be, you know, to, to test that precedent. So I think that is explicitly the goal of some of this legislation is to test it. And I do think that it is incredibly dangerous, right, for there not to be a uniform set of immigration standards and that states could enact their own immigration enforcement protocols going as far as deputizing vigilantes and you know who knows what will be next <laughs> you know i mean one of the criticisms is that some of these bills that criminalize smuggling right very well may criminalize the act of driving an undocumented friend or family member to church or to work or to a family reunion Right, even not anywhere near the border, and I think that you you are likely to see that kind of escalation in different states around the country. And I think in many ways you already already are seeing it based on what is happening here in Texas, uh, what's happening in Florida. Um, you know, this kind of one-upsmanship on how um, hard we can be on undocumented people and and how abusive of a program we can design. From what I'm hearing, you're saying the funding is going to go probably go through for Operation Lone Star. Do you think these bills are also going to pass both chambers? I think that there's a very real chance that one or many of these bills uh, will pass. Um, it's very hard to say, given how extreme the Texas legislature has gotten um, in recent years. Uh, I think that there was certainly 
a lot of questions and concerns about HB 20 from committee members, but I don't think you can say that that means they're not going to vote it out of committee and vote it to the House floor. Um, the dynamic in the Texas legislature this session is that the House tends to be the more moderating influence on many of these kind of culture war bills, right? The anti-immigrant bills, the anti-trans bills, uh, the kind of uh, um, so many of these bills, the House tends to be the more moderating influence. It has already passed the $4.6 billion for Operation Lone Star, and now it is taking on these kind of series of, of bills. So I think that it is, you know, there is a lot of opposition here in Texas. There are really terrific grassroots organizations um, uh, that are fighting these at the border and, and uh, you know, here in Austin and beyond. Uh, but I think, you know, uh, it, it's going to be a tough, it's going to be a tough fight to ensure that none of these bills are enacted into law. And what can people do who aren't in Texas to help fight this legislation from passing? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I do think that like amplifying what is happening um, is really important right now, especially the extreme nature of HB 20. Um, I think that it's important you know, whether or not you're in Texas to be staying aware of it, if you're a part of an organization to have them, you know, be speaking about it, you know, even contacting Texas legislators, I think is not a bad idea, because I think that there is a little bit of this feeling that there's so many terrible things happening that it's almost like a fog of terrible things, you know, are happening in Texas that this hasn't even broken through, right? Um, and that we really do need it to, we, we really do need some national attention on it. So I, I'm really glad that that you reached out. I'm really glad that, you know, your readers and listeners are paying attention to this issue. Yeah. And what organizations are, are really fighting against this? Besides besides you and Human Rights Watch, who else is is fighting these bills? Yeah, there's really a terrific coalition, right? The organization that I worked for for many years, Grassroots Leadership, is really at the forefront of this. Um, the Border Network for Human Rights, groups in the Rio Grande Valley like Lupe, um, and then you know your your groups that that really provide the legal analysis, um, Texas Civil Rights Project, the Immigrant Legal Resource Center, the ACLU of Texas, the Latino Justice. There's really a terrific uh, coalition of organizations that are working together. Um, to, you know, do our best to, to stop the worst of these things from happening. Right. And, in, and if you're in Texas and listening to this, what can, what can Texans do to fight this? Well, I think certainly contacting your legislators today <laughs> would, be really, would be really helpful. And I think that no matter where you live, that's important um, because we need, you know, I think on all levels of... Uh, on, on all levels, people should be opposing this. Um, uh, and again, I think also if, if you can write a letter to the editor or an op-ed, uh, you know, in your community, I think that one of the things that we have found is that unfortunately, the the this didn't receive much coverage until uh, last week, uh, despite these bills being kind of on the table for many weeks. Um, and so, you know, we we really do need people to understand how extreme and dangerous these bills are, what their impact would be on border communities and on migrants, and uh, to ensure that they actually, you know, do get the coverage that they deserve. And actually, the impact is on the entire nation, right? Because if one of these goes to the Supreme Court, the justices could rule in favor of 
Texas. And then there we go. Yeah. You know, my, you know, I don't, I can't remember if you went to UT or not, but my, uh, my, uh, alma mater, <laughs> um, uh, it's a slogan for, for better or worse is what starts here changes the world, uh, is the university of Texas. And, um, unfortunately sometimes that's the case, uh, when it comes to the Texas legislature as well. That's right. Never underestimate Texas. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Yeah. That is a good lesson. Yeah. yeah. Well, well, thank you so much, Bob. I really appreciate you taking the time to uh, talk to us at the Border Chronicle. And I hope everybody will make their opposition known to, to House Bill 20 and all of these other horrible authoritarian uh, bills that are being discussed right now in the Texas legislature. Yeah. Thank you so much for, for reaching out. I'm really, uh, I'm really appreciative of you raising this issue and covering it. This is The Border Chronicle, reported by Todd Miller and Melissa Del Bosque, based in Tucson, Arizona. This interview was edited by me, Hannah Gaber. If you like what you're hearing, please give us a follow, drop a review, and recommend the show to a friend. It really is the best way to help people find us. You can read and listen to more local border reporting and support Todd and Melissa's independent journalism on our website, theborderchronicle.com.